So today, as we begin and we continue our study on the Beatitudes, um, we've been gone for the last, uh, we stopped it for a couple weeks. Last week, we were down at our, our kids' church in Hillsdale, and uh, we were with them. And um, again, thanks to Rip and Pastor Leland for, for handling the service. And, um, but now we're getting back into the Beatitudes. What I'm finding here is that each one of the Beatitudes really can be a sermon on their own. <laughs> I, I tend to be labor points. I get that. And so I'll, I hope you'll stay with me on this because there is so much truth in every one of these beatitudes that just to fly through them quickly would do disservice, I believe, to what Jesus was saying. We gotta, and we have to remember what really um, the Lord is saying in this. Larry, could I have my slides, please? That um, everything Jesus says, remember, Jesus speaks truth in everything he says. There wasn't anything that Jesus ever spoke about that wasn't truthful. Therefore, everything that he says is meaningful, and we need to spend time trying to understand it better, maybe in the context of the day that he was living in and and why he was saying the things he says. But we find out that in John chapter 8, we see this truth, and that is that John chapter 8, Verses, I'm sorry, yeah, John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32 says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If, listen, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. All right? So not just that you listen to my teachings, but if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So as we study God's word, and as we go into the Beatitudes in a deep dive, we are trying to understand the truth of God's word. And what we're going to find is that we're going to find different varying levels, deeper levels of freedom. Not, I mean, that's the key point, that we're going to be find ourselves more free. The more we understand God's truth, the more free we become to live in this world that needs to see truth, that needs to see truth lived out. So that's why we dig deep. So turn in your Bible to, chapter, to Matthew chapter 5, and this is our text for today. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's pray. Father, Help us now to understand the words of your son. Help us understand what he was saying to the people of his day and to us today. And I pray, God, that you will just reveal your truth to us, that we would be more free in your grace and in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting, as you look at the context of the time, the time sense of the Beatitudes, in, in the blessing in the poor of the spirit, it is a present tense verse versus a future tense verse. In other words, when it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, once a person understands who they are in Christ, once a person understands their spiritual poverty, and the only way that they can be rich in in, in their spiritual life is they have a relationship with Jesus. As soon as that happens, instantly, instantly they are in the kingdom of God. 
There is no waiting for this to happen. There is no waiting period. There is no purgatory period. There is no let's see if you're really true period. No, once you believe in who Christ is and you accept him as your your savior, then you make him your Lord. You are instantly in the kingdom of God. A future, I mean, that's present tense. Whereas all the rest of the Beatitudes are in the future tense because it says as you go through the process, you will be blessed in various formats, in various forms. The proclamation of a blessing on those who mourn is that they will be comforted, is a foretelling of a blessing of comfort to come to them as one goes through the mourning process. That's basically what it means to live life. Because life can be ugly, life can be messy, life can be sad, life can be sorrowful. Life has many reasons for us to mourn. And there's a couple different texts, context of mourning that we're going to hit on today. It may be difficult for us to live life at times, but the promise is is that God's blessings will be for us as we walk through the hard things of life. Last week's Pastor Rip's message was the benefit of hard times. The benefit of going through hard times. And he just gave me an example of what his week was like after he preached that message. (laughs) So he had to live out what he preached because things can be difficult. Hard times can come to people. But we have to remember that the blessings that Jesus is referring to here are by his definition of blessing not by man's definition of blessing. And we spent a whole message on that a few weeks ago talking about the blessings of God, what that really means. So I just want to touch on that just briefly because it's important that we know that man's definitions of blessings typically are in terms of prosperity in the moment, in our physical life. And that includes the things that make us happy in the moment. Things that make life fun and enjoyable in the immediate sense of the word of being happy and blessed is typically what the way man thinks of it. But by God's definition of blessing, they may not have anything at all to do with our immediate form of happiness and satisfaction in the moment. We may have to go through many temporary difficulty difficult seasons in life while still having the sense of eternal happiness and satisfaction in life to come by God's definition of blessing. A true blessing, in fact, the way I would define a true blessing is anything, good or bad, that turns my eyes to Christ. Anything that makes me look at Jesus as my source is a blessing. And sometimes that comes through finances. Sometimes that comes through a new boat. And sometimes that comes through sickness. And sometimes that comes through a rainy day. Anything that turns my eyes to Jesus is defined as a blessing. At the same time, anything that turns my eyes away from Jesus is a curse. And sometimes that would be a new boat. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes the way that we want blessings is, God, give me more, give me more, give me all the things I want, and we get them, and all of a sudden we're so enamored with the blessing that we forget the blesser, and that becomes a curse. 
a commentary written by a teacher, Ranko Stefanik, Stefanik, says this. He says, two things may be observed in the Beatitudes. First, Jesus radically changes the conventional concept of happiness. Those who are blessed are not blessed according to the conventional meaning of the conferral of blessings experienced in life in terms of good fortune and a life free of hardships, which is temporal and fickle. They are blessed not because of hardships in life, but rather in spite of hardship, hardships in life. True happiness is not attached to wealth, to having enough, to having a good reputation, power, possessions of the goods of this world. The blessed might possess nothing but be hungry, humble, afflicted, humiliated, endure hardships, and be persecuted. The circumstances of life may turn against them, yet life cannot take that happiness from them because life has not given it to them. In such a way, the Beatitudes in the Sermon of the Mount depict a reversal of all human values. Think about what Jesus is saying here. This is why those that listened to Jesus' teachings were so amazed at him as a teacher because he taught with a power and authority that no other teacher taught of before that because they didn't experience it. This commentary goes on to say that this true happiness is not to be understood as a mental or emotional state or in relation to one's feelings, but rather as the result, hear me, the result of a divine act in human lives. God is the true source of happiness. The disciple is in a state of happiness when he or she is aware of God's special blessings regardless of whether he or she is experiencing good fortune or hardships in life. Man, that's so true. So with that, let's, exer- let's examine verse 4. Verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So who are those who mourn? And what are they mourning over? We have to ask those questions. And what does the comfort look like that comes to them? So who are those that mourn? Let's talk about that for a minute. Remember, the audience that Jesus was talking to were very immature Christians, if they were Christians at all, on the Sermon of the Mount. Because we don't know exactly when this was given in the life of Jesus' ministry. This might have been very at the very beginning of it where Jesus was attracting followers because he was an amazing teacher and because he was doing things that attracted their attention, but they may not have been a believer in him yet. So Jesus is talking to people that are either potential believers or those that are immature in their faith. And so he's giving them some very hard things to think about. He's really blowing them out of the water based upon their Old Testament living, which, were, which was what they were, their context was prior to this time. So this is new information. So we have to look at the Old Testament a little bit here if we're going to get the context of what these people were thinking about. So what does the Old Testament say about mourning and comfort? All right, so turn in your Bible to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. The prophet Isaiah says this. He's speaking of the coming of Jesus here. He says, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release them from darkness for the prisoners, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Here it is. To comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a, instead of a spirit of despair. So to the Jew at the time here, when they considered mourning, mourning indicates pain and grief. Mourning is not something that is taken lightly. Mourning indicates a, a, a pain and grief. It's the, it's the anxieties of life that result from a deep sense of loss. Maybe from the death of a loved one or the loss of something that was valuable to them that would impact their standard of living somehow, some way. It could be a loss of possessions or of status or a job or anything that would be really important, maybe like your health. And for today, for us today, it's very similar in that. That's the, those are the things that typically cause us to mourn. People mourn over major disasters and tribulations. In a time of mourning, people are looking for hope and an answer that would give them a purpose as to why that might have happened. And here's the problem. The world doesn't offer the answer. The world doesn't offer any hope because it doesn't have an answer. Let me say this. It's not even, it's, 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 God doesn't always give us answers. Understand this, that God never promises to give us an answer or an explanation. But he gives us faith to live by his promises. Don't expect God to give you an answer or an explanation of the hard things that you're experiencing. If you're expecting that, you will live in frustration. But he gives us the faith to believe in his promises. That's why this proclamation that there is a blessing to those that mourn gets the attention of the people of the day. Jesus offers hope in the day of mourning, no matter what the circumstances of life are, then and today. So let's take a little deeper look at the true meaning of what Jesus is saying about mourning here. First of all, who is the blessing for? The focus here is the children of God who mourn because they will be comforted. You see, everyone in this world mourns. No one can get through life without mourning over something. There is no one exempt from the pain and sorrow of major loss that results in life. In fact, the worldly person that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord will mourn more and harder and longer than a person that does have a relationship with the Lord because there is no hope in the world. There's no hope given for the day that I close my eyes in death from the world. There is a hopelessness in their mourning without an end in sight, and it simply wears them out. 
That's why we have suicides. That's why people hurt themselves. You know the saying, hurting people hurt people? Because they have no hope. They have nowhere to turn. And all they know is hurt. And all they know is hopelessness. So what do they offer others? Hurt and hopelessness. But the person who has a relationship with Jesus has a comforter that the world doesn't know. And that comforter is the Holy Spirit. The comforter is the paraclete that Jesus said, go and wait and I will send you the Holy Spirit and he will be a comforter to you. The Holy Spirit is given to us to help us get through the mourning process that the world doesn't have. That's the answer. And that may be the only answer you get, (laughs) is the Holy Spirit will be your help. And that's enough. We don't need a more answer than that. We don't need any more from God than just to know the fact that God has promised us that he's given us a comforter, and that is the Holy Spirit, and that gives me a sense of hope and purpose that no matter what I'm going through, I'm going to get through it, and I'm going to be victorious at the end because the Holy Spirit wins, and I'm on the right side. So God's promises are given to his children, those who accept Jesus as their Savior, not the one who rejects him. It's sad to say, but those that walk away from Jesus also walk away from his comfort. Those that don't accept who Jesus is in their life walk away from the benefit of being comforted, and they don't even know it. So again, to the Jewish person of Jesus' day, they would understand the prophets that spoke before them. So let's, again, stay in Isaiah. And it talks about how comfort comes to those that are godly people. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning at verse 1. Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people. When he says comfort twice, it means he's really meaning it. <laughs> it's, he's, like, he's really um, trying to get you to hear him now. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a way for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So to the Jewish person listening to Jesus on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, these are the things that are going through his mind, because this is what he understands. But Jesus is saying something more here than just being comforted in our sorrows. The comfort that comes to those who mourn, if we're mourning for the right reasons, We have to understand that. So we have to dig a little bit deeper here to truly understand what Jesus is referring to. So the question is, what are we really mourning over? What are we mourning over? What makes this proclamation of this beatitude different from the rest of the proclamations or the beatitudes is that there is a voluntary and an involuntary perspective to mourning. There is a voluntary and an involuntary perspective to mourning. First, the involuntary. 
which is what we've already been talking about. Everyone mourns whether you like it or not. You can't get, off, you can't get away from mourning. If someone dies that you love, you're going to mourn their death. You lose a lot, you're going to mourn what your loss is. Sickness, poverty, you name it. Whenever anything valuable to you is taken from you, there is an involuntary process of mourning that you cannot escape. Secondly, there is a voluntary process of mourning. And we need to understand what that means. So hang with me here as we discuss what it means to accept and go through and willingly choose to mourn voluntarily. And see, because this is the one we can avoid. This is the one we can ignore. We need to understand that God has feelings and that he mourns over the loss of valuable things to him just like we do. Remember, we're created in the image of God. If I have feelings of mourning, then so does God. So what is God mourning over? What's valuable enough to God that he would mourn over that? Do you think God mourns over my loss of income? Do you think God mourns over my loss, personal loss of life here? See, the only thing I think that God could lose is something that he's given the ability to be lost. The only thing that God would mourn over that is a loss to him is something that he's given the ability to be lost. When God created man, he created us in the image of God. Man and female, he created them, right? And he gave us the power to choose to stay in a relationship with him that was perfect. That's the way it was created. Adam and Eve were perfect in relationship with God. They walked and talked with Jesus in the garden, and it was perfect, and there was no loss there. There was nothing to mourn there because they had everything perfectly in order. But when God gave us the choice, that's where the potential mourning comes in. Because when Adam and Eve chose to leave God that day, that broke God's heart. I don't think we can appreciate the grieving that God felt that day when he came to the garden and Adam was hiding from him. I don't think we can appreciate how that just made him mourn and how hurt he was over the fact that Adam would choose Satan over him. Therefore, God mourns over the willful choice of mankind to choose evil over good, to choose sin over righteousness. That is what grieves God's heart, and he mourns over that. He mourns over the broken relationship that he once had with mankind. Do you see the value of that statement? Do you see that? Do you appreciate that this morning? You see, God loves and loved his creation And in the perfect love, God gave his creation the choice to love him back. And if we choose not to, that grieves the heart of God, and that's what he mourns over. He can only mourn over the thing that he chose, whatever that was, to be able to be lost. See, if he would have made us in a way that we had no choice, that we had to love him, 
without choice, then he would have no sense of mourning. But because he, because he gave us the power to choose and we chose to walk away, he grieves over that. So the thing that breaks the heart of God is sin, which is the thing that broke the original perfect relationship between God and man. We see Jesus mourning over the people as he was entering Jerusalem the week of his sacrifice, the week of his crucifixion. Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace or comfort, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Do you see Jesus mourning here over unrighteousness? So going back to the passage in Isaiah, this is what Isaiah was alluding to here when he's talking about mourning that leads to comfort in the kingdom of God is a mourning over the humiliation of Israel and the cause of why they left God. Listen, this is so important. Israel had abandoned their relationship with God. And because of that, they were under the grip of harsh and ruthless rulers. That gave them great grief and reason to mourn. But they should be mourning over the fact that they left God in the first place not in the result that resulted in it because now they have a harsh life to live because they have hard rulers over them. This is a cause and effect purpose here. We must understand the root cause and mourn over that and not mourn over the effect. Let that sink in for a minute. We need to understand the cause and effect issue at hand here. What has caused the circumstance that's what I need to mourn over, not the result. You see, in our most basic nature, the reason that I have to mourn over anything is because sin entered the world. Thus, that's the thing I need to mourn over. I need to mourn over sin as God mourns over sin. The falling away from God is the reason that death and everything worthy of mourning has come upon us at all in the first place. Everything evil in this world and, and the separation that man has with God is the effect of the root cause of sin. This is the voluntary act of mourning that is different from the involuntary act of mourning because I can choose to ignore that fact. I can choose to walk away from that. I can choose to not, not feel God's mourning process because I can say, God, that's not important to me. And if I'm going to be comforted by the effect of the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What are we mourning over? Are we mourning over the result or are we mourning over the cause? God doesn't really promise for you or me to comfort us if we're mourning over the wrong reason. 
If we're mourning over the result, we're missing the point because that's all about me. It's selfish. If I'm, if I'm mourning over the effect, or I'm sorry, if I'm mourning over the cause, then it's about God. And I'm mourning over the fact that it happened in the first place. And God says, I'll comfort you if you mourn over the right things. Let me put it this way. To be in proper relationship with God, we need to change our mindset about sin and the evil that results from it. And we need to mourn over that as God does. We need to mourn over the things that God mourns over and then he will bring us comfort. What are these things? What are these things? We've talked about them. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 7 through 8. But God has also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw. Not that he did. Do you see this? He was tormented by the wickedness that he saw and he heard day after day. He was tormented because of the wickedness of people. He was tormented by, because of the wickedness of sin. And that is what we must grieve over if we're going to have the comfort of God because that's what God grieves over. You see, we grieve over a lot of things that aren't significant. We grieve over a lot of things that aren't eternal. And we find ourselves spinning our wheels over the things that don't matter. God doesn't say, I'm going to comfort you in those things. He's going to, he's going to let you have your way in it, quite honestly. Way too often we worry and we get all upset over things that have no real significance in the bigger picture of life and we waste a lot of time and a lot of effort. Rather, we need to discern the things that God grieves and mourns over and then mark those things as issues to contend with. I'm going to go back to the Old Testament again because remember, that's the context these people were, were, were living in. Listen to this passage in Ezekiel and this is a hard passage. Ezekiel chapter 9, verses 3 through 4. It says, Now the glory of God, of the God of Israel, went up from above the cherubim where it had been and moved to the threshold of the temple. And then the Lord called to the man clothed in linen who had the writing kit at his side, and he said to him, Go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. Okay, so now God has given this man, go to the people and mark on their foreheads those that are grieved over the detestable things that are happening in their midst. Now the next few verses are so hard, they're almost hard to read. But listen to God's judgment. Ezekiel chapter 9, verses 5 through 8. As I listened, he said to the others, follow him through the city and kill without showing pity or compassion. Slaughter the old men, the young men and women, the mothers and children, but do not touch anyone who has the mark. What's this mark? The mark is the ones that grieve over the detestable things that are happening amongst them. Let's continue on. He says, begin at my sanctuary. 
So they began with the old men who were in the front of the temple. Then he said to them, defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go. So they went out and began killing throughout the city. While they were killing, I was left alone. I fell face down, crying out, Alas, sovereign Lord, are you going to destroy the entire remnant of Israel in this outpouring of your wrath on Jerusalem? Can you hear the heart of the prophet here? It grieved him greatly to see the righteous, listen, to see the righteous judgment of God on those that were guilty. We can pray God's grace. But praying God's grace does not mean that he's not going to be righteous on those that are guilty. Where did it start? It started at the church. It started in the leadership. He says, "Go." so they began, and he said, so they went out, and uh, hang on. So they began with the old men who were in front of the temple, the religious leaders. Begin your judgment there. God's beginning his judgment right here. Anyone that calls himself a religious leader, judgment starts here first. It starts with me. And every other pastor in this town and in this world that's preaching the gospel. That's a heavy word. I get it. But God's judgment knows no boundaries. And thus, our mourning should be great. Our mourning should be great. Sincere mourning over sin is evidence of true saving faith. If you're a Christian person and aren't grieving over the sin of the world, Ask yourself the question, am I really saved? Do I really experience the grieving that God experiences over the sin? Those that follow Jesus will grieve and mourn over the sin and and immorality that not only broke the relationship with me, but it also impacts the world that we're living in. That's why God begins his judgment in the church. God grieves over those that are in leadership that should know better and aren't doing the work of teaching, preaching, going into the world, rescuing as many as we can rescue. So let's go back to Isaiah's message that we read earlier. God would comfort. Remember? Comfort. He said comfort, comfort. Twice he said it. God will comfort if, if, if they would return to God and accept his provision of grace to come back into proper relationship. God comforts those who grieve that come under relationship with him. So who does God comfort? God comforts those that mourn over the right things and for the right reasons. That's you and I today. If we're grieving over the right things, God comforts you. That's his promise. And then God comforts those that mourn over the same things that he mourns over. Jackie, would you come, please? Can you give us some comfort, Jackie? You see, we live in a confusing world. I get it. It's evil, and it's debased, and it's not going to get any better, guys. Can I just say that? The world is on a spiral downward that it's not going to get better on its own. Utopia is not coming. The new world order is not going to make it better. But we have no reason to fear over this. We have no reason to fret over this. 
as we keep our eyes on Christ. You see, he promises to keep us through the difficult times. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. They, you, will be comforted as you mourn, as we mourn over the thing God mourns over. We need to discern the heart of God in this evil world, and we need to make sure that we're mourning over it, but we're not influenced by its evil nature. We don't compromise with it, thinking that we're going to make it better by compromising. We don't play with sin because that grieves the heart of God. We understand the significance of what compromise does. We mourn over it and we pray God's grace over us and for others. Now, how do we do this? How do we apply this? This doesn't mean you put on sackcloth and ashes on your face and walk around mourning and, you know, just down in the belt, down in the grumpy person. That's not what we're talking about. It means to live, as Pastor Rip already said earlier, it's a lifestyle of choosing right over wrong, choosing to live godly, choosing to know that I'm not going to do anything purposely, intentionally, that I know is going to grieve the heart of God. It doesn't mean that I don't slip and I don't fall every once in a while and I do grieve God's heart, but as soon as I do, I make it right. I repent. I come back to him and say, Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? And his grace is, yes, I will. Help me never to do that again. And he said, I'll do my best to help you, but you have to help yourself too. (laughs) We do it together. It's a combined effort. We begin by grieving and mourning over the sin and corruption that's rampant around us so that we're marked on our foreheads to be untouched. We love what God loves and we stop playing games with the things that he hates. Wow. See, it's a choice we all have to make with promises that follow. Psalms chapter 97, verses 10 through 12. Let those who love the Lord hate evil. For he guards the lives of his faithful ones and he delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous and praise his holy name. Amen. There's hope, guys. We have it. We know the answer. We mourn over the things that God mourns over. We rejoice in the thing God rejoices over. We love what God loves. Do everything we can to improve the life of people around us, to lead them to Christ so that they can become the body of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your mercies, and I thank you for your grace that are new every day. And God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to know and help us to discern what's right and wrong around us today. Help us not to buy into the lies of the world. Help us not to be easily deceived. Help us to be truly seeking your holiness and your righteousness, that we would learn to love the things that you love and we would learn to hate the things that you hate. So Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name and I declare goodness and I declare your blessing on this church and on this body and for all those that are listening and truly listening and living a heart of righteousness for you. 
I thank you for your mercies. I thank you for your awesomeness. I thank you for your promises. Now help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? And let's sing the song that Jackie and Tom are playing as we worship. Father, just go with us today. I pray, God, that you would just honor us and we would be a blessing to you as we do things, God, that would just bring you joy. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed today. Have a great day.